you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, here we are, the middle of June. You know, this year is flying by. We're going to be looking at 2014 in the blink of an eye. You know what you want 2014 to look like? Have you decided now what that's going to bring for you? You know, I find that we really end up pretty much where we expect to end up. It's pretty important to clarify where we expect to go because that starts putting some things in motion where, in fact, it takes us in that direction. Well, we could go on and on about that. We become what we think about and so on. That was a foundational principle for me when I was a kid. Got exposed to the early recording of Earl Nightingale talking about the strangest secret. We become what we think about. That has served me pretty well over the years to control what I think about, what I let into my mind, what I read, what I think about, what I watch, the people I hang around. And that has allowed me to go some places that I dreamed of when I was that 13-year-old kid and got exposed to that first recording of Nightingale Conant. Well, I hope that you are deciding now what you want your future to look like and that you're doing the things to put in place your direction to go there. Here's some of the questions we're going to be dealing with today. Dan, how can I best inspire young people to get into entrepreneurism? Well, should I call even though the company says no phone calls, please? Dan, I feel like I've made a fatal mistake. Is there a way to fix this? Dan, how can I turn my passion for public speaking into a career? Dan, I feel trapped in my current situation. Do you have any advice for me? Well, we're going to kind of frame these questions and our thoughts for today in this podcast based on a Henry Ford quotation where he said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. You know, I love that simple message. Yeah. I mean, we hear, let me start off with... Uh, Let's see here. Let me go to two letters that I got. Now, here's the deal. Are we in a tough economy? You know, do we have economic forces working against us? You know, is it impossible to get a job? Are companies not hiring? Well, you can make a case for anything you want to. So you can go down to the local restaurant, hang out, and you'll hear people who are absolutely convinced that the wrong people are in power in the White House. Thus, there's no opportunity and it's killing our business. You can find people in the same place who say, oh my gosh, you know, I just got three job offers. You know, can't believe how great things are, how many new opportunities there are. You know, winning is a very much an inner game. This has very little to do with circumstances around us. Now, I'm going to start off. You know, I usually start off with some kind of a success story. We've got lots of those and some others I want to share with you. But let me start off with a letter that I got from a lady in Chicago. She actually sent the letter to Dave Ramsey. As you know, Dave and I have been friends for years. Th- this week we had a, a really cool experience Uh, Jen McDonough and her family drove down 15 hours from Minnesota to do their debt-free scream. They've been working for four years to eliminate $182,000 in debt, which they did. They wanted to make it a big deal, which they did. So we had a gang of people that showed up on Monday over at Dave Ramsey's office to do their debt-free scream. Just a great experience for 
a wonderful family as they have started this new chapter in their own success. Just took action on a whole bunch of things. In that period of time, Jen has written two books, did an Ironman Iron Man triathlon, an Ironman, and completed that. So they just decided they wanted their lives to be different and took action. Boom. Ended up, funny story there, they just were out here in our property this morning just to show the family around the sanctuary and the kids went down the zip line about a million times. Well, while they were going down the zip line, Bob, Jen's husband and I started talking and we ended up doing a car transaction. They left their van here and took a Mercury Mountaineer that I had and are on their way back to Minnesota. So we did a car transaction, swap titles and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things when our lives are connected. This is not just about, you know, we are connected because we did a business transaction here. When we, I mean, we're used to doing life together with people. As you know, if you've ever been to the sanctuary, yeah, you know, you we may put you down the zip line or take you down and eat mulberries off the mulberry bush and walk you over to our house where we've got a water feature and sit around the front yard. I mean, we just lived together. But yeah, actually, they came out totally unexpected. We did a car transaction in the 30 minutes that they were here or whatever, and they're on their way back to Minnesota in what used to be my Mercury Mountaineer, and I have their Ventura van sitting here. So fun stuff. Now, back to the issue at hand. Whether you think you can or think you can't, either way, you're right. I got this letter from a lady in Chicago who sent it to Dave Ramsey. She says, Dave, thank you so much for recommending the book 48 Days to the Work You Love. I started working for a new company eight months ago and was thrilled to be making my highest salary ever, $96,500. The problem was that I hated going into work every day. I knew that I needed to find different work, but feared that it would be incredibly difficult. The job market in Chicago is still pretty soft, and I wondered whether my chances of finding new employment would be further jeopardized because I hadn't even worked for my current employer for a full year. I read 48 Days to the Work You Love and really put its principles into practice. On day 48, I had a phone interview for a position that I thought I'd love. Exactly one month later, they made me an offer. I start working there on Monday. By the way, I'll be earning $123,000 with four weeks paid vacation instead of two weeks at my old job, and my commute will be reduced by 50%. Best of all, I'm looking forward to the day-to-day work. I just loaned a copy of this book to my sister, and I'm talking it up to anyone who will listen. Please keep recommending fabulous books like this one. Sincerely, you know, and this is really interesting. That was from Sarah. It's even an unusual spelling of Sarah. On the same day that Dave's assistant, Patty, shot that note over to me, I got another letter from another lady named Sarah. I won't go into details, but here's this letter. Keep in mind, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. So Sarah says, Dan, my husband and I purchased and read 48 days almost a year ago. But I have to say that nothing in the job search has changed since using Mr. Miller's suggestions. 90% of the time, employers shut you out of the hiring process by not allowing phone calls or email correspondence. Even if you try to get in touch with them, they do not respond. After a while, while, it feels more like stalking than a job search. 
For example, my husband recently applied to a job for which he was extremely qualified. He submitted his resume and cover letter early in the process, followed up with phone calls and emails only to be told, and only because he asked, that his credentials did not fit their needs via an impersonal email response. The fact that they wouldn't even talk to him is frustrating and disheartening. This is par for the course in job searching this year. It doesn't matter if I get a response to this email, but I want to be clear that the techniques in this book do not speak to the current hiring process. Sincerely, Sarah. Now, isn't that interesting? Both ladies read the same book. One got a job offer, moving her from $96,500 up to $123,000 with four weeks instead of two weeks paid vacation and reduced her commute by 20%. She can't believe that she just used the principles and just walked through it. And on day 48, right on schedule, she got the job of her dream. Somebody else read the book. No, I'm gonna, not going to you know, disparage somebody who's already discouraged. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that go into this. But I do want to stress the point. It's not the economy. It's not the job market out there. This is very much an inner game. And if you want to change the results, the best thing to do, this is what I do. I mean, if, if I want to change the results in my own life, I talk to that guy I see in the mirror when I wake up in the morning. That's who I need to talk to. I don't need to, you know, go find more information, get another degree, take another course, although nothing wrong with those things, but I need to have a discussion with myself. What am I willing to change to get different results? And if I'm not getting the results I want now, I need to look at what am I doing? What am I doing repeatedly that leads to the results that I'm getting that I don't want? If it's eating too much, wow, what do I do every time I go to lunch? Do I need to change that? Now, those are some things I changed last year pretty dramatically. Went to lunch yesterday with a guy who has also lost a significant amount of weight. And we went to the Legends Golf Club house to eat and we both ordered salad. And we talked about, you know, had that been a year ago, where we probably would have gone to eat and what we would have eaten. But we just changed. Just changed because we wanted different results. Well, let me go on to some of the questions here. But that kind of sets the tone for the overview as you'll see in some of the other questions today as well. Diane from Farmington, New Mexico. Dan, I'm wearing out in my current career, but I've decided to make the best of it for another 18 months when I qualify for a full retirement. Then I'll do the work I really love. How best can I expand the process of 48 days to the job, to the work I love, to fit my time period of 548 days to the job I love? It's hard to get psyched up when the big changeover is 18 months out. Thanks for all you do to help us live fulfilling work lives. I plan to be a wellness coach and am arranging my life and funds to take your coaching class in the near future. Sounds like great fun and experience. Well, Diane, thanks for your note. Well, how exciting to know that you're going to go into this new chapter of your life 18 months from now. Now you talk about you have to you know, slow things down because it's 548 days instead of 48. That'll go by in the blink of an eye. I mean, it really will. And the fact that you know it's coming, that it's a positive transition for you, will make the time go even faster. But knowing that you do have that 18-month window, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to very carefully and have fun doing it, map out what it's going to look like. 
Now, the neat thing is, too, if you want to be a wellness coach, you don't have to wait until the 18 months to start. I would encourage you start blogging, start commenting on other people's blogs, get involved in these online forums having to do with fitness, read things in that arena, work up a package. You know, what, what are the three offers that you would have as a wellness coach? Start distributing those to friends, letting them know this is what you're going to be doing. I mean, you can start doing that now where you work with people as a wellness coach. You may be able to have your current income duplicated before you ever quit your current job in 18 months. So knowing that change is coming, knowing that you're in the driver's seat, lets you make this a very soft transition into the next season of your life. Congratulations. Joe from Pittsburgh. My wife and I were married a year ago, and now we're expecting our first child. She would like to stay at home when the baby comes, but would like to do some part-time work. We had a blast creating creative touches for our wedding, and we're wondering if there was a way to start a business from that. We created a logo using our initials in the shape of a heart. From there, we made a custom cookie cutter, candy molds, labels for water bottles, stationery, aisle markers, etc. Do you think this is a viable business? We thought maybe we could blog about what we made, how we made them, and then offer to make them for those without the skills or time to do it themselves. Joe and Stephanie, I think it's a fantastic idea. We went to a wedding last Saturday night at Montgomery Bell Park. So it was about an hour from here. We drove out. It was out in the park. There's a little chapel there where the wedding took place. Chapel is just a real rustic little building doesn't have heat or air. The temperature was perfect. Everything was perfect. The bride was beautiful, but they did a lot of really personal things. My daughter, Ashley baked the cake for that one and used in the decorating of the cake, some things like keys and rings that were really very important to the bride and groom. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're talking about working with brides and grooms or building up to their wedding, you know, the most extravagant thing they may ever do in their lives. Yeah, there's all kinds of opportunity for businesses there. And I love what you're talking about, that you created a logo using your initials. And what you're doing here, you're offering to do things that are not just easily replicated where you can't just go online and order something that already has your initials there, probably. So you bring unique value in that regard. And then I love what you've done. It's not just that. But then from there, you did a custom cookie cutter, candy molds, labels for water bottles, stationery. I love the idea. I I think you ought to rock and roll with that. Um, Yeah, look at what's out there. Do your due diligence, meaning you see what else is being offered right now. Find your unique, unique niche. Partner with those people who are already marketing into that space and have fun. Let us know. Give us a six month update on your business. Sounds great. Come up with a great name. I mean, that's a lot of the success of a business like this. Come up with a wonderful name. You don't need to copyright or patent anything, but you probably want to trademark a name. So come up with a really great name and logo yourself. And then, so it's identifiable. So it becomes kind of the brand that people expect in that space. Michael from Drumheller, Alberta, Canada. Drumheller, Alberta, Canada. Says, Dan, I'm stranded on an island. I've been wanting to come to a live event of yours or Dave Ramsey's for the last few years, even more so after your podcast about investing in yourself. With family and life experiences, expenses, I have not been able to save up for the flights, hotels, and the event. So instead of whining, I decided to work after work on my web development. And I'm discovering that working in the oil field, I've not networked with anyone. So I'm stranded on an island and have no idea how to get clients. 
So I've been shooting in the dark, went to a few places in my town to talk to people, but nothing has really come of it. How can I start building a small client base? Well, there, there are some real strategic ways to do this. One, get a copy of Michael Hyatt's book, Platform. That's exactly what it deals with. How do you start to build your base? You have to have an audience in today's environment. Now, when you're working in web development, it may not just be geographically where you live in a small town. You can do web development for somebody that lives three states away or five countries away. It really doesn't matter. So identify your unique niche, your unique selling proposition, what it is that you do that makes you remarkable, and then promote that. So it doesn't really matter where your clients come from as much as you having a clear identification of what you do that makes you remarkable. But get a copy of Platform and then get involved in in the online space where people are doing things like you're doing. If you want to do web development, get yourself listed on Elance and Guru.com where you offer to do those services. So you'll start having people ask you, can you do this? Would you do this for $500? So you get in the game and you can do that very quickly. It doesn't matter if you don't have a long history and, you know, a a long network connection. You can make your network be that you plug into an existing network and that can work for you very well. Adam from Montour, New York. Hi, Dan. How can I best inspire young people to get into entrepreneurism? I often encourage young people who would make great entrepreneurs, but they're programmed to think that working for other companies is their best option. They think they need a job to quickly get money so they can get married and get started in life. I want to be more helpful with the next generation, but feel inadequate in persuasion. Thank you for all you do. All right. Now, this is an interesting question. You may be surprised at my response. How can I best inspire young people to get into entrepreneurism? I think Every young person ought to know about entrepreneurism. I don't think it's for everybody. I mean, sometimes people think, Dan, are you trying to get everybody to quit their jobs and just go do their own thing? Not a chance. There's a whole lot of people that are perfectly suited for a job that they have or a job that they could find. And being an entrepreneur would be very intimidating for them. I met with a young man yesterday who is really good in communication. I think he would be a great account rep. I think he would be great at relationship-oriented selling. Do I encourage him to just go out on his own? No. I think he's way too scattered and disorganized to do that. I think it would be very frustrating for him. I think he needs to be under somebody else's umbrella. And I told him that. So we mapped that out as a strategy for him. Now, yesterday in my blog, I wrote a a blog that was titled 100% College Admission. How sad. I went by, Joanna and I, after lunch last Sunday, drove by a very prestigious private high school here in our area. And they had a sign out in the front yard that says 100% college admission for our graduates again. And it just broke my heart to see that. Oh, my gosh. We're going to take these really bright kids and we're going to decide in advance the best possibility for them is to shove them through four years in school so they can get a position in a cubicle somewhere. Where are we going to get? I mean, are are we not going to get Ferrari mechanics, 
sculptors, heating air conditioning specialist. I mean, somebody that can build another water feature on our property for us. The skilled carpenters, stonemasons, welders, piano tuners. We can go on and on. I mean, I don't think that we ought to have a cookie cutter plan on any end of the spectrum. So should kids be exposed to entrepreneurism? Absolutely. It's short-sighted for them not to see the kind of things that Bill Gates and Richard Branson and a whole lot of other people have done without going through college. But I don't think that everybody's a candidate for that. So the real, my goal is that everybody's exposed to all the options. But what I, what I put in my blog, and I, I went into it, and it, it, the, the response was instantaneous when I put that out, as I knew it would. Frankly, I'm surprised at the positive response that I've gotten. I'm sure there's a whole lot of people who think I ought to be run out of town for suggesting that not every kid should go to college. But I said, let's stop depriving our children of their best options. I'd like to see that sign in the front of a high school that says 60% college, 10% trade school, 10% continuing family business, 10% entrepreneurs, and 10 are going to travel the world to further clarify their best career options. I mean, that would make me want to send my child there. But 100% guarantee, I think they're going to cut my child off from looking at all the options that may be suitable. As, my, as I look at my grandchildren, wow. I mean, there are a couple in my grandchildren thinking about pushing them into college would make me cry, and certainly they as well. It's not going to be a fit. So... Yeah, let's expose them to that. You can be a voice for that. Are we ever going to get everybody to think that's the best option? No. And again, that's okay. But just we want to encourage them. And you can do that as well, Adam. You know, show them the options on a list of possibilities. That's really what we want. Well, hey, just a reminder here. This is Dan Miller, 48 Days Online Radio. We like to call it that. Came from radio background, moved to podcasting. Love what podcasting allows us to do. If you've got a question you'd like to have considered here, just shoot it into go to the 48days.com site. You'll see the podcast link there. Click on that. You can submit your question either audibly or you can write it out as most people choose to do. Okay, this one comes from uh, Lyndon, who says, do you think it is appropriate to call about a job posting, even though the company says, no phone calls, please? Do you think they're trying to test to see who will follow instructions or who will actually push the envelope and call to inquire about the position? Well, that's a great question, Lyndon. We we have no idea. But if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the edge of pushing the limits. One time, I had a little business where I would call on companies and sell them advertising. What, what I would do is go to a church and say, I'm going to produce this gorgeous leather-covered telephone address book. We're going to give you a 1,000 copies of this with your church logo on the front, any kind of information you want in the first couple pages. But then I'm going to put on the inside cover and inside and back cover as well little one-inch spots promoting businesses, people that you trust people that you recommend so who in your who in your congregation is in real estate who's in insurance when somebody comes down what hotel do you put them up at where do you like to eat where does your wife get her hair done i mean and i would go to those people 
that proved to be a very, very profitable little business. I could rock and roll through those things, complete a project in about four days, you know, put four or five thousand bucks in my pocket after all cost and getting them the books. It was a great little business. Now, what, how was that? How was I able to do that? Because I ignored all those signs on businesses that say no solicitations. I mean, how many businesses do you walk up to where it says that? No solicitation. I mean, every restaurant you walk up to, no solicitation. Did I just turn and tuck my tail and walk away when I? Absolutely not. I went in anyway. You know that in about three years of doing that, I had, I think, two people that reminded me that that was on the front of their building. You know what one of those was? A car dealership. I went into a car dealership because they were on my list of people as I was going to contact. The sales manager reamed me out, cussed at me in front of customers, his salespeople, the whole thing, in front of everybody, because I ignored the sign on the front of their showroom office that said no solicitation. I said, I'm sorry, sir. Sorry, I intruded. Sorry, I offended you. I left, walked across the parking lot. This was back before we had cell phones, a few years ago. I went to a phone booth at the corner of their lot, and I called him on the phone. Having just walked out, been reamed out, I called him on the phone. I said, sir, I'm the same guy that was in your showroom two minutes ago. What would you want one of your salespeople to do if they encountered what I just encountered? Would you want them to tuck their tail and go home? Would you want them to make another attempt to sell a car? I mean, I thought it was preposterous. And a car sales dealership, you know, our car salespeople are expected to be pushy and aggressive, make the sale no matter what. And he's telling me that I went over the line to walk in and try to, I called him from a phone booth. He was, you know what I think happened? I think he was I think he just saw it as an opportunity to show off, to to throw his power around. He was extremely gentle on the telephone. I ended up walking in back over to the dealership and walked out of there with a check. Now, that's how I'd handle no solicitation. If a company says no phone calls, please, absolutely call them. Now, what if they're advertising for a sales position and they say no sales call, no phone calls? And a person who doesn't have the guts to pick up the phone and call, they just killed their opportunity to be considered for that position. I have a friend who's a recruiter here in town for a sales position. He has people come in, great candidates. He'll have somebody come in. So on a Friday afternoon, we meet and he says, Dan, Cal, you're a great candidate. You know, I think you'd really fit in here well. I tell you what, let's get you started Monday morning. You give me a call and we'll set up the next step to get you going. Man, I'm all excited over the weekend. I tell all my friends, geez, I'm going to be working this great company. We really hit it off. Monday morning, I call. No response. Golly, Monday afternoon, I call. No response. Tuesday morning, I call. I think, man, golly, was he out sick yesterday? I call, leave a message. No response. Now, what is my thinking likely to start doing? I'm thinking, oh, I'll bet he interviewed somebody after me in the process, liked them better. They got the job. We didn't really have anything in writing. It was just kind of a verbal okay. I'll bet he's moved on. Man, I hate losing that, but it's over. The dude who interviewed purposely ignores the first three callbacks to see, are you a salesperson or are you not? 
So, yeah, if a company says no phone calls, please, I mean, a company says college degree required. Is that really a qualification that they won't violate? Rarely would that ever be the case. But it means they're only going to get 200 responses rather than 800. All it is is a screening tool. Same thing is true here. If you want to get opportunities that other people don't, be willing to do what other people are not willing to do. I have a lot of people talk to me about their frustrations in writing. Gee, I wrote a great book. You know, well, I made $3,000. I thought writers got rich and famous. No, we know that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. Is that discouraging to me as an author? My immediate thought is, geez, how difficult can it be to put yourself in the 5%? All I have to do is look at what authors do typically do things that they don't do. I'll bet I can put myself in that 5%. Yeah, no kidding. But that's what you want to do when you're looking for a position. Do things that 95% of the people in the job market are not doing. You're going to get opportunities. Had a little gal one time. It, it, I, I, this, this was back a few years ago when I used to be involved in the screening and hiring process for Dave Ramsey's organization. Now it's monstrous and I certainly am not involved anymore. They've got their own HR director, Rick Perry, and wonderful people on their team that do that. But this was back when I was helping to screen. And so David wanted a particular person with skills and I was screening. Well, he called me about how did this go down? You know, the little gal figured out what company we were promoting for him. We didn't have the name in there, but she figured out what company it was. And she walked in the door, happened to see Dave coming across the lobby, stopped him for a minute, introduced herself. That's how it was. He called me and said, I want you to put her in the mix. Well, I pulled her revenue and I said, Dave, dude, she doesn't have anything we're looking for. He said, oh, that's okay. I want her to be one of the, one, one of the finalists we consider. Well, you know the rest of the story. Guess who got the job? The little gal who had the guts to walk in the front door, meet Dave, make her case. He says, based on, you know, a 30-second conversation, I want her to be in the mix of our finalists. Boom, she gets a job. So, yeah, do what others aren't willing to do. Monica from Creston, Iowa says, I'm working through the 48 days and took my resume and cover letter into a place today. Now listen to this. When I got home, I realized I had made a mistake. In the cover letter, I wrote out the name of the place that I was applying to, First Federal Saving Bank. But I wrote First Federal Bank, leaving out the word saving. I feel like I've made a fatal mistake. Is there a way to fix a mistake like this? Do I still have a chance? Do you have any advice? Monica, this is a very, very small detail in the larger scope of how decisions are made. This is not a grammar test. This is not a spelling test. This is a, do we like you test? Do we want to have you on our team? Are you fun? Are you somebody that's fun to have around? What have you done in the last 18 months? No, this is not a fatal mistake at all. Be aggressive in your follow-up. It'll have no bearing at all on the decision as to whether or not they want to have you on their team. Trust me. Andre from Miami. Dan, I don't have the words to express how grateful I am for the help and mentoring you've given. Yes, we've never met, but you're my mentor. So here's my question. The thing that brings the most excitement and passion out of me is public speaking. 
especially inspirational or motivational speaking. When I speak publicly, I feel time stop. I feel like Michael Jordan flying through the air in slow motion. God, that's a great visual picture. But I have no idea how to turn this into a career. Any recommendations on my next steps? Absolutely. You're asking me if you can turn your passion for public speaking into (laughs) something you can do? Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you some suggestions. If you've been listening to me any length of time at all, you know what I do immediately when I want to have improvement in a particular area. I find a coach. I find somebody to challenge me, to push me, to get me to do things that I'm not doing now, to see things that I can do that would unleash my success in that arena. So I do that in any area. If you want to be in public speaking, you need to hang around people who are already performing at the level which you want to perform. So you need to spend time with people already doing what you want to do, but you also need to get coached from people who will help you do exactly what you want to do. So you don't have to take 10 years to figure this out. Let me give you three quick tips. There are different levels of investment. You choose what you want to do. In September, I think it's the 17th through the 19th in September, in Vail, Colorado, at it's going to be at the Sebastian. This is going to be a gorgeous, gorgeous hotel property. This is going to be the launch conference. Now, you've heard me talk about that before. But this is where they help speakers, entertainers, turn their skills into a thriving business. You're going to hear from Ken Davis, Michael Hyatt. It's really their event. I'll be speaking there as well. This is a three-day event to launch your speaking business. Now, you can go there. I'm going to give you a coupon code. You can go there and you get $100 off their registration. But you need to, I, I listened to Michael Hyatt's podcast this morning. And he talked about how quickly that event is filling up. So again, it's September, but go to launchconference.tv and then put in the coupon code 48 days and that'll give you $100 off that event. So that's one. All right. So you can go there, launch conference. That's going to be one way to skyrocket your career. Another one is Speak It Forward, Kent Julian's event. This is at Atlanta. He just did one in May, I think it was, but the next one's coming up in October, October 24 to 26. Speak It Forward. I'll put a a link in the show notes. You can go there. Um, And and I'm I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much either these events are. I don't have those details right in front of me, but and we're talking about an investment in unlocking your career. Let's say that the launch conference is $2,000. What do you think the average starting fee for somebody who really is going to be a professional speaker is? The, fee, the figure I use is $2,500. If you're going to be considered a speaker at all, you're going to be in the $2,500 range if you're just starting out. So how many speaking engagements do you have to get to recover your investment? Oh, that's difficult to figure out. One. Will you get one speaking engagement or one more as a result of going to that conference? My goodness, if you don't come see me, I'll open your brain and we'll figure out something together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the way that I always look at it. So we've got launch conference, speak it forward. Here's another one. I just have on my desk, we just delivered last night, the brand new wealthy speaker written by Jane Atkinson 
Wealthy Speaker 2.0. So there's a new version, but it's a book and a workbook. The whole system, I think, is about 77 bucks. I mean, I got that a couple years ago, but then this year, I decided I wanted to take my speaking to a new level. Guess what? I looked for a coach. I decided I wanted Jane Atkinson, who wrote the book Wealthy Speaker, to coach me. So I'm engaged in a 10-month coaching process with her. Now, that's pretty pricey, but that's okay. You don't need to do that. You could, but you can choose from the options that I've given you here and absolutely you'll put your speaking, you will skyrocket your speaking. But now let me give you one last kind of tip here. And that is make your speaking one part of your business. Don't just be a professional speaker, craft your business around a message and then find six different ways to deliver that message. So you can speak, you can do a workshop, you can coach, you can create an audio product, an instructional manual. I mean, that's the way that you really build a robust, profitable business. Not just by living out of hotels and airplanes where you're a paid gun to come in and speak, but where you have a message and you deliver that message in multiple ways. Rob from Chicago. My family's expecting to relocate in the next month as my wife got a great new opportunity closer to where she grew up. I've been a municipal engineer for 10 years and I'm in a career rut. My passions include hockey, technology, cars, and writing. Everyone tells me I'm a great writer, but as of yet, it hasn't proved to be very lucrative. I'd like to use this relocation as an opportunity to reinvigorate my career. Unfortunately, while I've been adept at marketing myself as a municipal engineer, I'm not sure how to transition into another field where I have little formal training and experience without taking a massive pay cut. Any suggestions? Yeah, Rob, you say that you like hockey, technology, cars, and writing. Everyone tells me I'm a great writer, but has not been very lucrative. Well, writing has a very slow start to generate income. I would not encourage you to look at that alone to replace your current income. So I would not encourage you or anyone to go from being a municipal engineer and then you quit that and now you're going to have writing be your only source of income. But just like in the previous question, if you're going to write, it ought to be based on a message that you only can deliver. When you define that message, then look at different ways that you can deliver that. So could you do coaching in that arena instantly and have income from that immediately? Yeah. Could you do a workshop or seminar? And the same is true on the other things. You talk about hockey, technology, cars. Now, Now, I encourage you to create a clear focus. Don't try to wear a lot of different hats. And as much as I talk about multiple streams of income, those are always under a common umbrella where activity in any one area fuels activity in the one that it touches. So you want things to work together. So don't try to just be a jack of all trades, master of none. No, be a master of something, but then you can have multiple ways that you deliver that message and content. So it could be around technology or cars. I mean, cars as an example, if you want to do something with cars, yeah, you can flip three or four cars a month. You can do a podcast on cars as I have several friends who do. You can write for magazines. You, know, you can do a blog about cars. So you you create all your, you, you focus all your skills around the message, even though you're delivering it in different ways. John from Atlanta says, I'm currently 25 years old, and despite having a well-paying job that's putting me on the fast track to success by the world's standards, I've come to realize that my passions and strengths lie in softer skills, such as speaking, writing, and coaching. 
Since these strengths aren't being tapped into during my regular working hours, I've decided to take action and I'm currently in the midst of some big plans for 2013 and beyond. I've recently learned, heard a listener ask if it's possible to be too young to be a life coach. You said you had several examples of young coaches who have done extraordinary things. Coaching is something I've always had a knack for and was wondering if you could share a story or two for encouragement. Thanks for all you do. Well, what, what I said in that was that I think it's difficult to be a life coach at 25 years old and have any kind of influence with people who are 50 years old. So if you're going to coach and you are 25, then you're going to have to find where is it that you have influence. Now, Kent Julian, I mentioned a minute ago, does the Speak It Forward boot camp in Atlanta, a great event where speakers are launched twice a year. But Kent went from being a youth leader in a denomination and he wanted to expand his impact. And so one of the things that we built very early was for him to do coaching. But now at the time he was about, well, let's see, he was about 32 years old. So guess who he coached? High school and university kids. Somebody who had just had three years in a career and then decided, oh my gosh, I think I made a wrong turn somewhere. I majored in the wrong thing in college. I don't want to be on this track. How can I redirect? Guess who I sent him to? Kent. That was his sweet spot to coach. So he had influence in those people who were his age or younger. I think you're going to find that to be true. So just be realistic about that. Yeah, you can coach, but be realistic about where your center of influence is and use that. Now this question, this is an audio question. I'm going to play it and you'll see why here, but it comes from Santiago. Hello, Dan. This is Santiago Prieto from Maryland. I am a uh, Spanish teacher. My native tongue is Spanish. I've been in the States for over 15 years teaching Spanish, and this is my idea, uh, something that I think I, I love to do, um, is to create a website uh, so that I can uh, get clients from high school students asking me questions as they learn Spanish through email. That would be through email. Um, the charge... Um, about $50 a month as if I was a, their tutor but online through email and they have access to my email and ask me questions anytime they need even once a day what do you think about that idea how should I start it uh, with, even with uh, companies for uh, starting a website thank you so much uh, you're great doing your job um, and um, encouraging us thank you so much Bye-bye. well thanks for your question Santiago you want to help people via email as they're learning Spanish. Now, I just happen to be learning Spanish myself this year. That was one of my goals. So I have the Pimsleur series. Every morning I start with 30 minutes of a Pimsleur CD while I'm on the treadmill. And then I flip to my other podcast and go on. But in, as a user in that way, I mean, I'd have a hard time seeing how I would sign up for your program I'm listening and learning. If I'm unclear in a word, I just back up a sentence or two. I have an English-Spanish dictionary right there where I can look up any word I want. You know, if I'm imagining how can I tell the guys to mow the grass all the way down the lane, all the way out to the paved road instead of stopping where the fence is, well, there are a couple words in there that I may not have heard yet. I just look them up. 
Now, I, I guess I could theoretically, you know, email you, but boy, that's pretty easy just to look up. I really am not clear on what it is that you have that would have enough unique value for people to pay $50 a month for that. Now, help me you know, massage the idea, but as you presented it here, I think that would be a really, really tough sell. Devin from Sacramento says, Dan, I love listening to your podcast. Enjoy the advice you give. Currently, I'm an outsider working at a family-owned business. Most of the associates are adult children of the owners. I really enjoy the work I do. However, the nepotism and laziness of my coworkers is driving me crazy. I've been offered several jobs outside of the state, but my oldest son suffers from a sensory disability where it makes it very difficult to make any changes to his routine, including moving to another state. I feel trapped in my current situation. Do you have any advice for me? Well, be convinced that new opportunities are not limited to those that would require you to move out of state. So go through, I'll tell you what, I'll send you a copy, a fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Just go to chapter five where it goes through the job search process. Do a job search where you're in the driver's seat, not where you're just responding to offers you've gotten from another state, but where you decide what would be the ideal position, what kind of companies would you like to be involved in, you do a job search, it doesn't require you to move, everything is within 20 minutes of your house, whatever you want as the parameters for what would be an ideal, you do a job search. So it's not, this is one of those situations where it's not just hamburger A or hamburger B at all. It's what's hamburger C through Z. So it's not just staying where you are where things have deteriorated and you're, they're driving you crazy and it's not moving a state away that's gonna be challenging for your family, no. Just identify what would be the ideal. You take action to bring that into view. Let me do one more. This comes from Diana. I wanted to get to this one. Dan, this was a real short question. Since fear holds most people back from success, how do we break out of that? Great question, huh? How do you break out of fear? We know that cripples us from a whole lot of things. Well, let me give you a couple steps. Set little baby steps for doing the things you fear. I mean, if you are afraid of driving, don't decide tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're going to drive from New York to California. But just decide you're going to drive one mile down to the little gas station and back. I mean, that's how you do that. I know a lady who had agoraphobia. She was afraid of going outside of her house. So it wasn't, wow, we're going to take you to the airport and get you on a plane and fly to Los Angeles and go to a party for three days. I mean, that would be overwhelming. No, it's, can you walk to the end of the block and back? So take little steps to open the door to breaking down the fear that's holding you back. When I first started speaking, I mean, I didn't just wake up and say, gee, I'm going to be a great speaker. I mean, I was raised in a little protected Mennonite environment where you never spoke up, never draw attention to yourself. Boom, I kept pushing for new opportunities. When I went to graduate school, they offered me a graduate assistantship. That meant that I walked into a big classroom on the first day full of students, freshmen, who were there for Psychology 101. They gave me no instruction, no, no guidance at all. It's just, we know you can do this. I mean, the first morning I walked in there, I thought I was going to throw up. I'm sure I was terrible, but I just worked my way through, kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it, looked for other opportunities. Guess what? 
Now I kind of enjoy the rush, walking to the front of her room and speaking. Took some time to overcome that fear. That's the way we break it down. Well, here's a recap. Our quotation kind of laid the overview for a lot of the questions today. Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Another recap, go where others aren't willing to go. Get results others aren't getting. Do what you fear and fear disappears. Well, hey, that's going to be a wrap for today. Thanks for being part of this community. We do, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of living life together. It blows me away the way I see people getting connected, sharing resources, linking arms, and all going to higher levels of success. Check out the 48days.net community if you haven't. Sign up for one of our new events. Come to Innovate in September. We're going to blow, it's going to be outrageous. Thanks for being on this path of finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.